the watcher is such a dumb character i gotta say like i i, I like the watcher but his whole thing with uh not being able to intervene but until i do intervening yeah <laughs> until i feel like it and then i do <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just a warrior pretty much mm-hmm. uh Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Cree and Skrull of all ages, welcome back to the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast, a show where fellow like-minded Marvelites have assembled to discuss, review, theorize, and wax intellectual over any and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is John, and I am thrilled to be joined by my co-host and fellow watcher from Beyond the Stars, Travis to ponder what if captain carter was the first avenger marvel studios is officially back with its fourth of an all-new original series on disney plus but this time they're entering the wonderful world of animation exploring alternate timelines in a multiverse of madness where we are dared to ask what if someone sneezes differently and everything changes so (laughs) <laughs> this is officially Marvel's first foray, officially the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I should say, is first foray into animation that's technically within continuity and part of this long-established franchise. There's been, you know, Marvel animation here or there, much like there's been the DC animated movies and television shows here and there, some mm-hmm. better than others. I know you've watched some of the Avengers cartoons, right? Yeah, yeah, like I, I've already written down in my notes which ones I, I like. Yeah, so there was Very a good much. one and there was one that wasn't so good, right? Yeah, what yeah, was the yeah. good one? Because I always forget the names uh, of these things. Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes is the good one, and it was pretty much, it ran for two seasons and then it was canceled to uh, launch a new one with worse animation and it had a more movie-accurate lineup, so. And yeah. look and feel too, right? Uh, if by feel you mean poor imitation of, yes. Yes, yes. that's uh, exactly what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fucking that first season, I made it through, but it was, it was rough going. Uh, but the Earth's Mightiest Heroes show had a lot of cool storylines, wasn't Ultron and Kang and the Skrull, Secret Invasion was part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a Secret Invasion arc, they do a prison break as the, like, the first, uh, arc of the series depending on uh, where you see the the show is broken up differently but you see a ton of villains that don't uh you'll probably never see anywhere else again probably or so we think <laughs> yeah yeah then again yeah these show these movies are when you're on on forever so we're gonna they see sure are and yeah the mandrel and stuff like that <laughs> in live action any day now i know it uh I mean, what if is an interesting way to start off the animated incontinuity stuff. And we've been told by the series creators and Kevin Feige and everyone that this is very much going to be in 
continuity with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that it's clever to have this following Loki, mm-hmm. you know, a series that established the multiverse and how the multiverse works. And now we're in a, you know, Marvel continuity where there are going to be alternate timelines and that has all been established because the whole conceit of what if you know from the comic book series kind of that it's loosely based on is you know that was an anthology series that explored how the marvel universe in the comics would have unfolded if a key moment from within that history had not occurred as it did within the mainline continuity right yeah, yeah. Just a slight tweaks leading to like a butterfly effect of essentially, yes. Uh, yeah. The the first issue of What If from um the year of our Lord nineteen seventy seven. Um there's been thirteen series since they've relaunched What If thirteen times before canceling it, by the way. But the first one was uh What If Spider Man had joined the Fantastic Four? Oh yeah, yeah. And that kind of points to one other thing about what if comics is that sometimes similar things eventually happen in continuity. Uh, Very I much. Mean, Spider-Man has definitely been a member of the Fantastic Four at this point. Yes. Uh, Famously, he was recently a member of the Fantastic Four in the Jonathan Hickman run. Yeah, yeah, with a sweet white costume. Uh, sweet white costume. One of my favorite, os- uh, favorite alternate looks for him. Uh, We've kind of joked about how we don't like the way that they're doing these Spider-Man costumes from the mm-hmm. toy leaks that we've seen for uh, Spider-Man Home Depot coming this mm-hmm. fall uh, to a theater near you um, with the Doctor Strange shit and the costumes basically just being like all black or whatever. There's not a lot of red and blue in them, but that, I mean, you've said it to me personally outside the podcast that that's the white costume is something that I would definitely like to see. It's very slick, you know? Yeah. Yeah, especially since it would mean he's probably hanging out with the Fantastic Four and you'd get that Human Torch, uh, Peter Parker uh, friendship, uh, which... Bromance. Is iconic, yes. yes. Yeah, uh, it's it's a bromance for the ages. I would love to see uh, Bagman. Do you know about Bagman? Yes, yes, uh, yes I do. Where it's like a, a, an old school Fantastic Four uh, suit with a badger over his head. Yes, preserving his secret identity right eh. yes he 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 was on some wacky mission with the fantastic four got lost from the rest of the group and he lost his mask so he picked up a paper bag and cut two eye holes out of it and had to swing around the city getting back to the baxter building with a bag on his head mm-hmm. and he had some super super heroics on the way so they're like thank you Bagman, for saving me <laughs> you know what i mean um kind of the most well-known and and i would say the best of those kind of silver age uh what if stories that i really remember uh was what if gwen stacy had lived um something that eventually happened in uh the marvel continuity um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that was a that was a really clever one because uh gwen stacy not only survived the battle with uh you know he shot his webs out a little bit sooner but he also didn't have his mask and gwen stacy's father didn't die and gwen stacy's father saw that peter was spider-man and that got leaked to the public so not only was it you know Gwen and Peter got to kind of live happily ever after and none of the Mary Jane stuff happened, but also it dealt a lot with the, you know, secret identity of Peter Parker being exposed to the public. That that was like kind of a, a really fun one also. 
do you do you have any like what ifs that you like do you like what if comics have you fucked with these things basically you know i i haven't read many honestly like i've talked before how i tend to just stick with you know, 616 as much as possible like uh alternate continuities are a lot to keep track of kind of what ifs at least are standalone but uh yeah yeah i just the regular continuity is complicated enough. <laughs> I agree. And what if by, you know, it's, it's at its core seems like it would be a great way for Marvel to have readers or viewers or whatever be kind of almost like introduced to a story without having to worry about continuity. Because I know even a lot of viewers are like, I'm not going to jump into the Avengers movies now. There's 25 of those fucking things Mm -hmm. that I might not have seen. So I'm not going to just watch number 25 and expect to know what's going on. Comics is even harder. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned that. I watch reaction videos on YouTube some, and it genuinely bothers me whenever I see uh, people reacting to movies out of order. It... (laughs) Agreed. Like starting with Infinity War? Why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, but yes, you were talking about uh, Elseworlds. Or... It, that's kind of what I was getting at because yeah, yeah. DC on the other side of town had the Elseworld line, you know, which kind of started in the 80s. Um, you know, Dark Knight Returns isn't technically an Elseworld book, but for all intents and purposes, let's call it an Elseworld book. And these characters are ingrained in pop culture, whether or not there are years and years of history are in everyone's heads. You know, that's not a thing. The genuine public, the general public for that matter, doesn't know about the clone saga and will not understand (laughs) where, what Spider-Man's doing here and there an issue 400. Yeah. That's for their own good. They don't care about Ben Riley. Some of us do. And if that's your thing, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you know, Elseworld was, kind of taking that premise where, you know, we know who Batman is. So let's just write a fun out of continuity Batman story. The all-star line at DC is very much similar to this with varying results, you know, mm-hmm. great results with Graham Morrison's all-star Superman. And um, then there's Frank Miller and Jim Lee's all-star Batman, which uh, I don't really think we should go on about but it's batshit fucking crazy um but they got so much acclaim for these things and they're reader friendly you could pick up you know an an issue of an elseworlds book and pretty much know where you are as opposed to what Mm -hmm. if which was always still so grounded if not more grounded in continuity because they for most of the times in recent years are always like event-based like what if age of ultron didn't work out the way it was supposed to or what if um i don't fucking know um well i remember there's like infinity gauntlet ones sure yeah yeah just where you kind of already have to have a uh an understanding of what happened in those events to appreciate Mm -hmm. what happens in this what if comic uh, and the basic premise of it also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even when Marvel does stuff like uh, The End, like X-Men The End. Sure. That series, that's kind of an alternate universe thing, but there's still a lot of lore there that uh, you have to know. Uh, it's not as simple as just taking the basic premise of this person was bit by a radioactive Spider-Man and 
Uh, Marvel has when they've done stuff that's similar to those else worlds. Like mm-hmm. there's the um, God, I almost call this Spider-Man for all seasons, but that's essentially what it is. Like the Superman for all seasons. Jeff Loeb did like that Spider-Man, um, you know, red and blue. I think it was what it was called. And it was just kind of like a retelling of Spider-Man's origin and, you know, just kind of with a modern context or even the ultimate universe is kind of like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the ultimate universe is probably their sincerest attempt at uh, doing a full on uh, uh, or committing to an alternate universe storyline. Yes. Yes. Um, Not Heroes Were Born. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh. (laughs) Um, They're kind of trying to revive it over at Marvel in the comics also. Chip Zdarsky and Pascal Ferry are doing this Spider-Man book called Spidey's Shadow, where it's essentially what if Peter Parker never gave back the black symbiote suit and Mm -hmm. kind of became Venom. And, you know, they've recently come out and said Chip Zdarsky will be spearheading this new what if initiative and it'll kind of be its own line. But instead of them being these one shots, they're going to be exactly what we're talking about. They're going to be mini series like, you know, maybe a one shot, but probably like four to six issues out of continuity, standalone stories um, where rather than it just to be this like breeding ground for like a place for a new artist to kind of like sell a one shot it'll kind of be a place for you know someone who's genuinely creative to give their spider-man pitch that could never happen or their x-men pitch that could never happen within regular yeah, continuity yeah. which i dig i think that's really mm-hmm. cool yeah and shit this is ours he's great uh he's and great he hasn't read his daredevil run or the current daredevil run i guess uh, should probably do that it's really good reading Especially yeah. the Netflix series is very in line with like that tone. And the art's great too. One very interesting development. <laughs> yes. Well, a lot of people complain when you kind of gender swap a character in that book. I'll just fucking say it because it's it's on all the covers. So if you walk into yeah, a comic book store, yeah. you see it. Electra is Daredevil right now. And, you know, gender swapping characters is something that people complain about a lot. But mm-hmm. it works within the context of Chip Zdarsky's current Daredevil run. Yeah, yeah. They always like overlook that there's usually a storyline reason for the gender swap. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But this what if, the MCU's what if, is very similar to the comic books. It's what if key moments in the Marvel Cinematic Universe happened a little differently and we got a completely new universe out of it Mm -hmm. spawning from the multiverse of madness that we saw at the end of Loki and episode one what if dot 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 captain Carter was the first Avenger and we basically ponder the question of you know it explores what would have happened if the events of captain America's first Avenger occurred differently and Peggy Carter took the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers and became the superhero rather than captain America Captain Carter, much like the comic books as well. It's narrated by the watcher who has appeared right in the MCU. Wasn't he in one of the guardians movies? Yes. He's in, uh, well, there's a few of them in the uh, second guardians film. And this is as a cameo talking to astronaut Stan Lee. Uh, They uh, were not played by anyone. I I don't imagine. (laughs) Uh, 
Well, as in like, I guess, a physical stand-in, maybe. But with a uh, gigantic head. Yes, yes, <laughs> with a frigid, huge head. Uh, but yes, Jeffrey Wright is doing the voice for the Watcher here, or specifically Watu more than likely. I, I don't know if they actually name him here, but they do. He says, "My name is Watu the Watcher." And I cannot intervene. I am only here to watch. And that's the Watcher's deal. They're this alien race yeah. who are basically there to watch all of the events of whatever is happening. And each Watcher is designated their own multiverse, basically. And Uatu in the comics is designated to the 616. And this mm-hmm. he's designated to the MCU. And, you know, they, they cannot intervene until they feel like intervening. I was which going happens. to ask, do you think we'll get through this entire season before he starts uh, intervening? <sighs> they intervene all the time. And it's always yeah, been yeah. something Watcher that kind of drives me very bad at his job. It's, he, uh, he is. He's been reprimanded for it in the past, though. He was put into Watcher prison for intervening too much at one point in time. And it fucked with the What If ongoing series that was happening at the time. And they had to get another Watcher to tell the story because our Watcher, Awatu, was in Watcher jail. So they actually did have to swap that up at one time. Um, he's interestingly... Uh, Jeffrey Wright is great. I'm yes. a big fan. Great voice. Uh, great voice. Mm. Great voice. Um, he's depicted really interesting in this too. He's kind of this cosmic silhouette amongst mm. the stars. Kind of like Eternity from the comics. Not the uh, cosmic being Eternity. Just, But yeah, yeah, it's not just like a big-headed guy in a robe. Which I love, a big-headed guy in a robe. I like the design of the Watchers. This was just like an artistic choice. Uh, It was really cool, though. Like you said, it looks like the cosmic entity of eternity, which is like the personification of like the universe and the matter mm -hmm. of the universe or something totally bonkers. But it looked really cool. I kind of wish he was chain-smoking like Rod Serling. You know what I mean? Because it very much feels like you're about to enter the Twilight Zone. You know what I mean? Mm Yeah, a final intro and uh, probably the best line delivery <laughs> in the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to just reading narration. but uh. Well, I mean, they're all reading something. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. But we get some returning actors in the voice cast for this episode. And we've spoken on other episodes about how, you know, Robert Downey's not coming back. Chris Evans mm-hmm. is not coming back. But Chris Hemsworth is coming back. Um I think um, Tom Hilson's coming back. A lot of the actors are coming back. In this episode, we get Haley Atwell returning as Peggy Carter. Mm-hmm. We get Samuel L. Jackson returning as Nicholas Fury. Jeremy Renner returning as Clint Barton. Stanley Tucci returning as Dr. Erskine. Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark. Um, the guy who played the Red Skull in Endgame, yes, but not uh, Hugo Weaver. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Who's a kind of a famous uh, voice actor, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, in Infinity War, even would have told me that was just, uh, oh, what's his face? Uh, Hugo Agent Weaving. Smith. Yes. Yes, Agent I, Smith. I would have yes. believed you. Mr. Right? Anderson. He sounds the same, pretty much. Yes. Uh, uh, Neil McDonough came back as Dum Dum Duggan, a character that I'm a really big fan of in the comics. I'm always happy to see. Uh, Toby Jones is back as Armin Zola, another character I'm really happy to see. 
and Sebastian Stan as James Buchanan Barnes. And is you there mentioned that you saved the best for last, I assume. Is that what you were doing there? I, uh... That's what I was doing intentionally. Yes, Travis. Why, thank you. I'm so glad you volleyed that up for me to T. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, we talked previously you know, off air and about Sebastian's performance in this one and had some definite thoughts about it uh, i had some definite thoughts about it and i don't know if it's him phoning it in i don't know if he was busy that day i don't know if maybe he just doesn't know how to read lines but yeah and there's a big difference between mm-hmm. voice acting and and reading copy and actually acting and delivering lines with a physical performance mm-hmm. i'm sure it's a lot harder to get into character when you're just doing something similar to what we're doing right now yeah, which yeah. Is, and- you know? Yes. Also, I know that he's kind of introverted, and which is one of the reasons they paired him up with Anthony Mackie on Press Tours, which... Is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, him and Winston Duke, I guess, uh, they sent them off together, and uh, it kind of led partly to uh, that TV show that did pretty well for them all. Yeah, because there is a lot of uh, charisma between himself and Mackie when you see those interviews, but I guess probably that's you know, Mackie's a goofy guy. It's like Abbott and Costello, big guy, little guy, or something along those yeah, lines. You yeah, know it I helps mean? him out whenever he's uh, yeah struggling to converse. I guess his performance left a lot to be desired on this first yeah. episode. Um, In his defense, I don't think there was a ton here for him to do. Uh, no, no. Like um, all the characters that have big changes in here, it, he is not one of them. No, um, uh, I will say, Joss Keaton who did the voice of Steve Rogers, Skinny Steve, mm-hmm. did a wonderful job in this yes. episode. Uh, yeah, I saw the trailer for What If and like, heard some of the voices. The person playing Tony Stark sounds like he's doing like a poor Tony Stark impression. The guy playing Steve Rogers is pretty pretty good. Like it's, I wasn't thinking, oh, well, that's not for Sevens at any point. Uh and he's kind of like a jobber pro. He actually voiced um, Peter Parker in 2008's uh, kind of underrated animated series, The Spectacular Spider-Man, that started off on the WB Kids. It's Saturday oh, morning. I got that in my notes too. Oh, I sorry, I beat you to it, my friend. No, no, I don't know how long you're going to let me ramble on about these animated shows, but yes, Spectacular Spider-Man is great. I don't love the art style, but the animation is so fucking fluid, and it's a good adaptation and that was kind of the beginning for me with something that kind of evolved most recently and into the spider-verse that got me thinking for characters that their power set and what makes them so cool is their style of movement it's something i've also discovered within uh, the arkham games Mm -hmm. and uh and the spider-man games for playstation where the way these characters can move on screen is something that's might be best adapted in some form of animation or or video game um you know like especially a guy like spider-man we saw a little bit of batman use the arkham style in uh the schneider bro uh (laughs) cut of um the ultimate spectacular edition of batman v superman um but again like we haven't seen a lot of it and it really works so well and that spectacular spider-man series you were kind of being a little dismissive of the art style but you also said it's so fluid I, uh, i the art style is good it's just um 
little kiddier than, say, like the 90s animated series where it's like realistic proportions. Either. Sure. Yes, yeah, the actual poses and stuff like that, that's all good. It's just, yeah, uh, more deformed, I guess. Uh, well, it, it's 100% computer generated, too, as opposed to the hand-drawn animation yeah. of that 90s uh, show. You know what I mean? And I'll go ahead and point out that like that 90s series is a classic and everything, but it doesn't have the greatest animation. Like, it's not very fluid, and it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it has the benefit of nostalgia, though. Same with X-Men series. Um, and it has the benefit of great character design. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, it definitely reinvented uh, some of the characters in interesting ways that looked great. Uh, but th- those shows, the X-Men show, the short-lived Fantastic Four show, the short-lived <laughs> Hulk show, which actually was good, the Hulk show, and the the Spider-Man show that we're oh, talking about. That kind of go- Tell me yeah, about yeah. well, those were the four, Silver right? <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a Silver Surfer one. Yeah, but those yeah. were, they were being made in terms of animation on the cheap and cranking them out. Yeah, yeah. You know? So there wasn't so much fluidity to them, especially because computers at that time were in a more primitive state where it would have been more expensive for them to do it computer generated. And it would probably look a lot like Reboot, which was a show I did like. But um, the Spectacular Spider-Man, again, it was in 2008. I think it lasted like two years or two or three seasons. Yeah, um, it lasted two seasons. Yeah, it it did benefit from being computer generated at a time where you could be a little bit more productive by using computer generation rather than cheaping out and doing like filmation style, like recycling backgrounds or recycling kind of character cells, which happened a lot during those those early 90s Marvel shows, yes. which which I do love. And the character designs are bomb. You know what I mean? They're so fucking good and defining for the characters. Yeah, yeah. And they really got to adapt a lot of storylines uh, from the comics and everything. The X-Men series in particular. Like, mm-hmm. uh, they got to do the Phoenix Saga uh, pretty much on point. So it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Days of Futures Past as well. Mm-hmm. Night of the Sentinels, all sorts of really cool stuff came from, and um, Mister Sinister and all that stuff. That 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 show is fucking great. And we got uh, Morbius with his sexy, sexy vampire <laughs> hand suckers. Yeah, hand suckers. Yeah, better than an actual vampire, honestly. It, it's far, far more nightmarish. <laughs> it is really, really weird to think that he had a million little hands that could suck the blood out of so like leech hands, basically, instead of being a real vampire. Yeah, you know? yeah, like being bit, that could be sexy, but being fucking, I don't know, sucked out by someone's hands, that's, that's just fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like what I do like in shame at the end of a a rough day you know what i mean that's not what i'm bragging about the next day you know what i mean yeah yeah you don't have holes in your hands to assist you know that's uh (laughs) not yet (laughs) i'm working on that my friend um daryl hannah snl alumni comes back he plays a nazi yeah Uh, yeah just this random nazi i assume he was like the big blonde one uh, yeah I think he was the one that Red Skull eventually like kills. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, really? Okay. okay yes. yeah. I'm uh, pretty yeah. sure that was him. But again, he played Bill Clinton. He's kind of famous for his voice work. And Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher. This was our formal introduction to the Watcher. Um, the episode 
was about 34 minutes. I have a feeling that's where all of these episodes are kind mm-hmm. of going to fall around the 30 minute time mark, which which I'm okay with. I mean, it's longer than WandaVision for the most part. Yeah, but again, like WandaVision being 30 minutes was playing with the serialized, yeah, yeah, the sitcom yeah. format and stuff. Um, before we kind of talk about the episode, the animation in this is two-dimensional cell shading animation, um, which is basically just two-dimensional cells layered on top of each other to give it the sense of movement so it's mm-hmm. it's almost like like flattened 3d if that makes any sense yeah yeah i'm pretty sure all of the episodes are going to be in this style mm-hmm. what did you think of the animation in general i dug it uh especially like i've talked a little bit about the series that i love uh as far as animation and marvel animation specifically uh and it was nice to have another new marvel animation thing that didn't look like i could draw it and it was very smooth and nice action just yeah there's a lot to like here i thought specifically the use of lighting was really interesting Mm -hmm. um and the shading and it gave it a lot of depth that normally wouldn't be in two-dimensional animation mm-hmm. because the shadows and the use of lights, it just, it, and again, the use of color here was, is really interesting. Um, very nice much like, uh, as well. uh, what, what was that? I said nice framing to where you have these dynamic images, I guess. Uh, yeah. It, it, a lot of inspiration, I think, from like 1940 serial films and, and specifically kind of reminded me of like World War II, like war bond style propaganda posters. Yeah, you know yeah. I, mean? I was going to ask, like the the first Avenger movie feels very like pulp and uh, classic propaganda filmish. Sure. <laughs> and this kind of felt even more so, but I, I dug that, uh, that. Uh, I like that first Avengers movie and just being able to have uh, more exaggerated expressions and stuff like that where you can really go all out with uh, the comic book stuff, I guess. <laughs> the real pulp of it. Yeah, 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 where it's, it's kind of silly, but also awesome. Uh, and the... It brings to mind, you mentioned the first Avengers, which was directed by Joe Johnson, who also did The Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of metal mech man in the show. <laughs> it very much reminded me of The Iron Giant, which was also implementing similar cell shading, mixing, you know, 3D computer generated stuff with actual two dimensional shell uh, cell drawings too um the director of this episode and one of the lead animators for the show um his name is brian adams he is actually the storyboard artist for the first avenger all the avengers films guardians of the galaxy and doctor strange and there's something very storyboardy and like almost like grown-up anim what do they call those things animetrics of about this does that make sense I am not sure. I've not heard that term. It's like it's like an animated storyboard that you show. It's it's like before there was previs, you would show oh, like these. Okay, you okay. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know the name of that. I was thinking maybe animatics. Or animatics. That yeah, is yeah. it. You nailed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. You nailed yeah. it. Yeah, 
yeah. There, uh, there's something very kind of storyboardy about this thing, and I think it's interesting that they chose specifically a storyboard artist to do this that I, I think was a wise decision, especially someone who's, you know, been a workhorse, a, a jobber, a word I've used a lot so far this episode, of um of Marvel for for some years. You know, he, he plays ball with them and, and he knows how to frame a Marvel movie, basically. Mm-hmm. And this definitely felt framed and visually akin to something like the first Avenger and, and the Marvel movies too. One thing that I would have liked to have seen from this show, and I think they're maybe it would be more expensive because you would have to have more people on the payroll. Um I, I wish each episode was done in a different animation style. If does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know like Star Wars has an animated show coming up that is doing exactly that with Star Wars Visions. Uh, I'm not as excited about that show, but it has nothing to do with like the animation style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just the content of it. It doesn't excite you as much, but yeah, like... yeah. There's going to be a few episodes of it. I, I'm looking forward to, but not all of them. I think. Yeah. But like, if you could do like a. Uh... I don't know, like you, you did like a, like a, like a Ralph Baxi style, you know, like the guy who did like uh that old Lord of the Rings cartoon mm-hmm. of like Dr. Strange and just had this like tripped out kind of Dr. Strange episode. And you yeah, had yeah, like, like your manga inspired episode with mm-hmm. Spider-Man. I, I think that would have been really neat. You know what I mean? As opposed to just it being all the same thing. And I think that was probably because like they wanted to keep the same workforce doing it throughout, which is probably cheaper and more productive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it makes me think of Loki in that uh, multiversal more animation is very Hanna-Barbera-esque. Having a full episode of that kind of art style could have been fun. And there's plenty of of options they could have went, uh, or paths they could have went there. Uh, But what what if... It's what if, and and what we got, we got, and and you and I again, we liked it. Um, I think to ver- I think you liked it a little bit more than I did, but I still liked it, and and I'd ra- I'm happy as two D and not computer generated because it feels a little less lazy and a little bit more traditional, which is something that I kind of like, especially in the context of this episode, which was like a a pulpy romp, which is something that normally I would have really liked. I, I do have some mixed feelings on the episode's delivery as a whole. Um, yeah. I, I also like that with animation, you could do things that are outside the realm of a budget of a live action thing. You know, there's a sequence in this where they're fucking jumping around airplanes and stuff that you could have never yeah. filmed. You can <laughs> never have filmed that in real life and made it look mm-hmm. real. And the show will be able to, especially I think when we get to some of the cosmic stuff, which I believe is next week um, is, is pretty interesting. Um, but if you don't like this animation, I have a feeling that those people are not going to be sticking around for week two, the way they did with like yeah. WandaVision. You know what I mean? And, I know that this is technically in continuity, uh, in multiverse continuity, though, so you can kind of take it or leave it. It's not, I, at least I don't uh, assume that they're going to be having any crossover with the actual movies with this animated show. Uh, Unless someone really likes something and then they make it yeah. canon, which is what I have Possible. a sneaking I mean, suspicion that Marvel will do because that's what you do. You throw mm-hmm. shit at the wall and see what sticks. And if a character resonates with someone, you'll figure out a way to bring them in, you know? Mm-hmm. You think Kang will pop up, by the way? In this series? Yeah, like an animated uh, version of Kang. Oh, well, 
God, that's tough. I'm gonna say no, but uh, I I think there is enough other stuff that they're going to be doing here, but never know. Uh, maybe a Mortis or a Romatot. Something, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Some I sort guess, of cartoon version of John the Majors running around, uh, you know? Yes, I guess we should mention that one of the limitations they had with this show is that they weren't allowed to introduce any new characters, so, like, there's not going to be any Galactus or anything like that, but, uh, and I assume that's why uh, Captain Carter wasn't called Captain Britain or any of that, uh, even though we can probably get into it now, but sure, uh, Captain Britain in the comics isn't just... Uh, Britain's Captain America it's much deeper than that <laughs> uh, well like it kind of the conceit of this episode is what if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers so you had yeah. this British super soldier right and so you would think Captain Britain would be her name but they name her Captain Carter and in the comics mm -hmm. like you said there is a Captain Britain um created in the you know mid to late 70s like early runs of Captain Britain were kind of written by unknown writers and artists like Alan Moore made his name there. Mm -hmm. Alan Davis made his name there drawing it. Chris Claremont has an affinity for Captain Britain. If you go back yeah, yeah. to a well, lot of the classic Captain like Britain. The early issues not even released over here. Some of them, I know like the first Prince of Psylocke is in a, an issue of Captain Britain and it wasn't released over here. So it wasn't, it was initially, initially meant for the character be to be intended as exclusive to the British market because mm -hmm. Marvel had their Marvel UK banner at the time. So it was a British market thing and it was a weekly comic too. So it was Captain Britain weekly and it was yeah, under the Marvel like UK banner. There were issues exclusive there too. I don't forget Action Force or something they called it. Uh, I, I probably fucking that up but no no i think there was a micronaut series too that was licensed by marvel that was over there too and the star wars there was star wars mm -hmm. uh uk i think there was star wars weekly yeah, which yeah. was a uh, UK thing. death's head what was that mm -hmm. another uh marvel uk uh a very cool looking character a mm -hmm. very cool looking character by a bunch of people who eventually started working over at uh you know 2000 ad and that character yeah yeah well rips. he was originally like a transformers character or he was going to debut in a transformers thing but they wanted to keep him so they debuted him elsewhere first so they could keep the copyright because that's something that Company yeah, I mean, he's a fucking he's a he's a man with a bullet as his head with a big John Cena looking chin. He's mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> and like, there's a death set, too, which is super 90s, but also still kind of awesome looking. Very yeah. different. But, uh. Very different. Uh, the Captain Britain was endowed with extraordinary powers by the legendary wizard Merlin. Brian Braddock, a.k.a. Captain Britain, was then tasked with upholding the laws of Britain for all of its citizens. Um, he was like the Herald of the UK originally. Mm -hmm. uh, Claremont, again, really seemed to like this character. You know, he made him a big part of Excalibur, the Knights of the Pendragon, the Hellfire Club. But later on, when, you know, Marvel UK went to bunked and it all kind of became one banner... Marvel Comics established the Captain Britain Corps, where the wizard Merlin basically established a Captain Britain Corps as multiversal variants of the same person who are mm -hmm. all tasked with defending the multiverse. And yeah, that's yeah, kind of what he's best known for. 
Yeah, like Guardian of the Nexus of All Realities or something like that, which Man Thing is also Guardian of, but it's not like the same Nexus of All Realities. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, there's I'm no shaking need to my head. Any further than that, other than to acknowledge that, yeah, it's it's weird. I know about him mostly from some Excalibur stuff when, you know, I'm going back and rereading all the Claremont stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Jonathan Hickman used him recently during his Avengers run uh, pre-Secret Wars. There was that short arc between Avengers and New Avengers called Time Runs Out, mm -hmm. where the Avengers sent the Captain Britain Corps to spy on, I think at the time they called them the Ivory Kings, and they ended up being the Beyonders who were the ones who were responsible for all of the incursions occurring. This mm -hmm. Captain Britain is is very different. This Captain Carter is is very different. And again, I, the basic conceit of the show, we we got the Watcher giving us that Rod Sterling-esque introduction. A cool intro, by the way. Um, the way they kind of shattered all of the glass splintering yeah, yeah. off. That was neat. They want you to think there's a bunch of Easter eggs hidden there, but... Uh... <laughs> there's nothing. No, no, it's from just old uh, stuff from the current season. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he has that bit, too, where he says, like, time, space, reality. It's more than a linear path. And chain smokes a cigarette like Rod Sterling. You know, more like Infinity Stones are really important. Remember, guys, you know what I mean? Because they all kind of have their Infinity Stone counterparts, all those words. Mm -hmm. But he will introduce us to a story at the quote unquote variant moment, the moment in time where the butterfly effect takes hold and we are diverging from the sacred timelines path and we are creating a new multiverse. And in this case, we're in the scene from Joe Johnson's the first Avenger where they're about to be, you know, in world war two, Steve Rogers is chosen to become the world's first super soldier receiving the super soldier serum, blah, 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 developed by Erskine. And, um, when Erskine asks, um, Peggy Carter, if she wants to watch the procedure from a safe distance, which is kind of a throwaway line in the first movie, she mm -hmm. says, no, I think I'll stay. And everyone basically stays on the platform and watches, which allows for the Nazi spy or Hydra spy rather, who was in the room to, um, to, uh, explode the place basically kills Tommy Lee Jones's character before we get a chance to hear him speak kills her skin. Um, and, um, you know, this is the moment, you know what I mean? That, mm -hmm. that caused the, caused the universe to splinter off. Yes. And, yes yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it caused this what if scenario, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, I was going to mention that, uh, Erskine here, I recognize him, but he also looks a bit schlubbier here than he did in the first Avenger movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just odd. Oh, I want to say it's the same actor, right? Yeah. It's Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like Stanley Tucci. Good character actor. Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he yeah. is. Uh, he plays like four different roles in um, Transformers The Last Night. He plays a drunken Merlin and like all these different. It's a very strange movie. I had never seen any of the other Transformers movies. And I walked into the movie theater oh. on a random day to see that movie. And it was so steeped in weird continuity and like King mm -hmm. Arthur and all sorts of craziness. And Anthony Hopkins is in it. And it's very strange. Um, but I remember being like, oh, Stanley Tucci said this. This is going to be okay. And then like. Two and a half hours later, my brain was just jello on the floor. And I, I, I'm not okay to this day about it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the Nazi guy blows the place up. 
shoots Steve right mm-hmm. before he can get yep, into the a chamber times, yeah. a couple times. Um, Peggy shoots him down. She jumps in. Uh, douchebag army guy tells Stark not to hit the button. He says, this is my only chance. And it's basically a storyboard that matches the scene from the first Avenger. But instead mm-hmm. of it being Steve, it's Peggy inside there. All right, here's a super uh, nerdy question. Do you think she should have gotten bigger? Like, uh, we've seen other people get the serum at this point, and Steve is the only one that got bigger besides her, I guess. She got bigger shoulders, right? Oh, no, she definitely got taller, because he mentioned <laughs> that uh, uh, she's not going to need her high heels anymore. It's, uh, Do you think that Steve should have touched her boob the way she touched Steve's boob? Absolutely. I know that's going to be a controversial <laughs> thing, but no. <laughs> oh, goodness. But yeah, yeah. It is random. Uh, really, the other uh, people we've seen with the Super Soldier Serum got bootleg serum, so there's no there's no need for consistency there. Yeah. That uh, that part where she touches Steve's boob apparently was just Haley Atwell being in awe of being in front of Chris Evans with no a shirt well on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, well, and she was just kind of like, wow, look at you, you know, and, and it was just put into the movie because, you know, she just did it on the set apparently. And everyone really liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, um, the douchebag army guy was voiced by uh, Bradley Whitford. Do you recognize that name? No, don't. No, don't. He's the dad from get out. Um, He's also the bad guy from Billy Madison. He's kind of like oh, a famous goofy okay. character actor. Yeah. 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 He also like kind of, you know, he chews them all out for doing it was like, I wanted a soldier. I got a girl. Um, The best thing that can happen from this is like we can get other soldiers from her blood and we see the vials very similar to the stuff that we saw in, um, you know, Winter Soldier and, you know, maybe other super soldiers will be created in this universe based off of that, even though Erskine's still dead. You know what I mean? Yeah, they did some of that in the uh, the first Avenger also, where they take some of Steve's blood in the hopes of recreating the serum. That's mm-hmm. pretty, uh, pretty uh, direct parallel there. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of that. <laughs> there's a lot of that. This this episode is basically a 30-minute consolidated version of Joe Johnson's The First Avenger, but with Peggy, for the most part. There's some... Yeah, there's, some, there's some other stuff where, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean we we see Peggy hitting the heavy bag just like Steve was hitting the heavy bag. Mm-hmm. Um I was really happy to see the Red Skull back. How about you? Do you even have to ask? Of course. I had to ask my friend. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I love seeing the Red Skull. I hope we get him back in live action at some point. Uh how do you feel about this show and the MCU in general when they depict Nazis? not having Nazis uh, like swastikas or SS symbols on their uniforms. I think they get away with it because it's Hydra, quote unquote, Hydra. Well, I mean, even whenever they show people that aren't Hydra but are Nazis, they don't have it. And there's a part of me that kind of understands they don't want to include real life horrors in uh, their fantasy universe. But then I also kind of like the idea of kids knowing from an early age that people were that were symbols like that are scum yeah and it's okay to punch them yes yes uh if there's any children listening punch a nazi next time you see one (laughs) 
It's pretty <laughs> like I remember reading Captain America, like uh the school library had uh these like hardback collected editions of early Captain America and like not knowing how to pronounce Nazi and I asked my dad and he just wouldn't go into it. Interesting. <laughs> well yeah, yeah, I thought it was Nazi. Sure. <laughs> and like I I was asking what it meant, whatever it is. These scientists from Nazi sent yeah, astronauts he's, to the he's moon. Like, oh, I don't know either, but yeah, it, it's uh, way back when. Uh. I grew up with a family who who killed a bunch of Nazis, and some family who were killed by some Nazis. So oh, yeah. they, and also I think for for people our age, you know, we're uh, we're kind of like later millennials um mm. we were kind of entrenched with uh fuck nazi heroes as children with uh indiana jones the rocketeer mm-hmm. things along those lines it was kind of just like uh you know part of the the bubble i guess of like iconic maybe spielberg did it i don't know when we were kids so um i i, I like that this show and this depiction of the Red Skull specifically, I feel kind of more so than the the movie kind of dives a bit more into like his obsession with the occult, which, you know, Nazis did in real life. They had yes. they were obsessed with yes. like crazy, weird, eldritch magic and occult mm. stuff. You know what I mean? I think that's like where Aryan kind of came from, like some secret people living under the earth or something along those lines, like crazy people stuff. But I mean, we see that the, the depiction of the, um, and I'm sorry if I pronounce this wrong. It's like one of those words like Molnir that like I'd seen so much as a kid. And then I was so stoked when the movie started saying it over and over and over again. So I could finally know how to pronounce the name of Thor's hammer, <laughs> but the, uh, Idroso tree? Idrosil. Yes, yes. Uh, world I, tree? I'm glad I was able to pronounce it right this time because last time I had to say it on the show, I fucked it up repeatedly. So that's, I fucked it up twice just now in the past yeah, 30 it seconds. It is so. not a very uh, friendly word to use. <laughs> I, I, the, he was going over the wooden engraving and we got to, it mm-hmm. looked a lot bigger than it did in the films. Um, it, it kind of just, it showcased like, his ambitions are a little bit more than world domination under the Hydra flag or the third Reich. It's actually like reaching out into the cosmos and this like fringe and pseudoscience bullshit (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I really like that stuff in the, about this bad guy. Like that's the stuff I really like about the red skull as a character, like the Mm -hmm. crazy, crazy stuff. And, and this show did a, did a good job. He was like, thumbing over the the world tree engraving and you know we saw the tentacled monster and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff and um from the yeah it was space. cool uh- <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and we saw like um you know the douchey army guy and captain carter and howard stark with um dominic cooper coming back to voice mm-hmm. howard stark they're they're thumbing through that book which showed like the Tesseract and, and all of those things and what it could mean. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I was happy to see the red skull back and then go so heavy on the cartoonishly maniacal supernatural shit with that character. Cause it's fun. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh... What did you think of captain Carter's costume? It, it's, fine <laughs> like, yeah uh, it, it's uh hard to not compare it to captain britain's because the sure. giant flag on the front of it but it's also 
very much in line with uh, Captain America's MCU costumes on the arms and stuff like that. Especially uh, from the first Avenger, you know, mm-hmm. which was like outlandish at the time that they would do something so pulpy and corny and cartoony in the first Avenger. Like I remember when the first Avenger promo footage came out and they showed like the USO stuff before he was actually oh, like, yeah, shooting yeah. Nazis. And I was like, wow, this movie looks like no one's going to see this thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. And it's nice to, again, so much of this is just retreading the first Avenger. Yeah, how, yeah. Howard like gives you were it to earlier, her. how they, like the what if stories, they're okay, but they don't really go all out on, uh, they repeat some of the same beats, pretty much just a different. Uh, well, one thing that they do that's a little different and not from the first Avenger in this one uh, Peggy has a cool fight scene where she steals <laughs> the Tesseract from Armenzola mm-hmm. she gets the Tesseract and Howard Stark uses the Tesseract to power a machine called the Hydra Stomper which is essentially Iron Man uh, Mach 1 style it looked very much mm-hmm. like uh, the Rocketeer or the Iron Giant it was a big metal mech suit um you know, I don't want to use the word steampunk because it's not like steampunky, but it's very pulpy World War II kind of jetpack looking thing. Sci-fi stuff, yeah, yeah. Yeah, retrofuturism, uh, is that a, a word, you know? Yes, I know. yes, I think so. Uh, yeah. Hopefully I, I use uh, it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, and yeah, they found a way to get Iron Man into the, into the thing pretty much where this version of Howard Stark isn't limited by the technology of his time, to paraphrase a line from one of the other uh, Marvel movies. And we get to see Steve Rogers use the suit, and Steve is a hero no matter what, too, which is a really mm-hmm. nice kind of sentiment, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, Peggy even has the, 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 the one line where she's like, you're more than the suit, the suit's nothing without the man inside, and you're my hero, Steve, and that mm-hmm. romance is still budding, despite him not being a hunk, you know? Mm-hmm. And she wants to go dancing, which they tell us no less than four times during this thing. Uh, I get <sighs> that it was a good line in the first movie and everything. Was and it? Like, it, it? Well, it had a good payoff, I guess, in my opinion. Yeah, where, ten years later. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, with the <laughs> ending where they have it end prematurely and then they call back 10 years later but yeah here they just kind of hammered in the dancing shit too much for me yeah Uh, the uh the fucking scene where she rescues the 107 and the howling commandos is is like shot for shot storyboards from Mm -hmm. the first avenger too you know what i mean yeah yeah it it's pretty uh pretty identical i i didn't actually do a head count to know if there are all the same characters in there or not, but I know Dum Dum Duggan is obviously there and and Bucky and everything. Uh, I I like the action bits where she's like on a motorcycle. Like when you were talking mm-hmm. about the Spider Man show and and like the fluidity of that kind of motion, um, it was it, it was it's it, it's stagnant looking because it's two dimensional, mm-hmm. and the shell the cell shading. But the way they use light to kind of depict motion and these shadows and like trees and stuff, it's just, it's really interesting. It works really well, especially for the time period and this being this kind of World War II period piece and things along those lines. And I really do like it. Um, But again, it's it's very much the 
same thing. Even the shot where it's kind of like the famous, like the doors open in the castle and, and Captain America's coming out guns blazing with yes. the Howling Commandos behind them. Yeah. That was like frame for frame, you know? And pretty much saying, hey, remember that time? <laughs> yes. The, the <laughs> South Park with the member berries. Do you ever see oh, that? Oh, I was thinking of the Chris Farley uh, SNL bit. Where, uh, oh, sure. Yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah. Remember that time? That was cool. That was whatever. cool, right? That was yeah. cool, yeah. Uh, I feel like a lot of this episode could be, uh, yeah, that was cool. Um, I I think that a lot of this series is probably going to be a lot of that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you know what was cool? You know what was I cool? I enjoy it, but it's just like it's good, but it could be better, I guess. Uh, I it could be more original and that kind of goes back yeah, to the conceit yeah. of of what if from the comics like kind of not delivering on the promise of how different it could be because it's not really all that different the same things mm-hmm. are kind of happening they're just happening with like a different person who looks a little different or something along those lines as opposed to a dc world book where it was actually a different story and it just kind of took place out of continuity and it was fun um the Hydra Stomper in action here was really fun, and I did enjoy that. And I really liked the POV of Steve's face inside with the kind of retro technology. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, my favorite thing with the Hydra Stomper is something they've done in a few of the movies now where uh, Captain Carter rides Steve into combat, basically, in the uh, Hydra Stomper. They've done it with Black Widow and Hulk and Rocket and War Machine and Endgame mm-hmm. and it is always awesome to see one character riding another into battle with it. A hundred percent. I hope we see the Colossus um throwing Wolverine someday at a Sentinel. That is something yeah, hopefully, I've always hopefully to. and hopefully uh we have a Wolverine small enough to where it, it's less uh weird looking. Just throwing a six foot three uh singing and dancing Australian man who's like yeah, jacked up yeah. on cod I mean, and they muscle do milk. The, the fastball special in one of the X Men movies, but it is just kind of weird because they're pretty much the same size. The one sequence where she rides the Hydra Stomper and Steve and the Hydra Stomper into the airplane and she jumps off of the fucking Hydra Stomper into the airplane and it's like it's made to look like it's one take and she runs through the fucking plane and then jumps out the other side guns blazing back onto the Hydra Stomper that kind of not only is it cool and, and I like you know I like characters riding on each other's backs like uh, little spider monkeys a lot too but mm-hmm. I I like that scene because that's kind of the technical limitations of shooting something in live action that we can never get away with without it just being totally impractical and CGI'd. Yeah. And my... bullshit on it. And yes. Yeah, I that is my favorite action beat in the episode for sure. I uh, I, I was a little disappointed they didn't uh, throw in someone getting turned into a blood mist by a propeller, but mm. can't have everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that would have been cool. Right. That would have been cool. That would have been really cool. I like Indiana Jones, man. I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. I, I would. Oh like no! To see no. I was thinking first Avenger. The, I know. Uh, yeah, I know. yeah, yeah. It happens. It, it happens to a Nazi in Indiana Jones too. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a minute. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I know exactly. You know. Yep. Yep. Uh, the uh, the train mission is is kind of cool too. Um, mm-hmm. they they, I mean, ca- they call it uh, where eagles dare. I just got to give a shout and- out. Did you think of the movie first or the Misfit song? I... A <laughs> little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, 
See, I knew that it was a movie, but my head went straight to the Misfit song. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite songs of all time. And Fellow Beyonders, I'm not sure if you're all aware of this, Travis. I know you're aware of this. I used to have a YouTube show where I reviewed comic books, <laughs> where I was called the Comic Book Mustache. And it was a very fun channel, and I had different programs. Um, one of them was called Comics on the Can, where I would go into a public restroom, and I would videotape myself actually taking a shit. I had a big Luigi mustache, um, and I'd be reading comics in public restrooms, and I would like say where I was on the bottom, and so I'd be like, Starbucks on you know Middle Country Road, and wherever, you know, uh, gas stations, all sorts of stuff. Um, but it was, it had this very like punk rock ethos. The, the, the show it was very mm-hmm. fun. I was in my like mid to late twenties when I did it. The original entrance intro music to that show was where Eagles dare by the misfits. And a bunch of my videos got taken down one day and then I put them back up. Mm-hmm. And then I got an email from the, uh, estate of Glenn Danzig and the people who represent Glenn Danzig told me to stop doing that. And then I kept doing it <laughs> and they kept taking it down and then they got really mad at me and they kept sending me these emails. And I just thought it was funny that somewhere out there, Danzig was getting pissed that some guy was, you know, doing this, you know what I mean? Cause he's such a fucking wiener. You know, I love yeah, Danzig. Yeah, I love Nisbets, but they're all pretty lame in real life. It seems, uh, unfortunately, yeah. for different reasons. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Another thing that's kind of unfortunate, I have spent a lot of money to go see the original Misfits uh, with Glenn Danzig and mm-hmm. Doyle and all of them um, because I thought it was going to be the only time that they reunite. You know, gone <laughs> to Chicago, spent a lot of money, went all the way to Chicago to see the only show. Mm-hmm. A year later, they announced a show in Jersey. I'm like, motherfucker. And then I'm like, yo, last Misfits show ever. It's in Jersey. Like, we got to go to this. And then I go. And it was a lot of fun. And then they announced an MSG show. And I'm like, fuck, man. So I have spent a lot of money on uh, a farewell tour, so to speak, for Danzig and the Misfits. <laughs> and they have fucked me over each and every time. Um, yeah. Well, to be fair to you, it is surprising they were able to get along well enough to do a, a full tour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they played like, four, there's about 45 minutes of Danzig and the Misfits music, so mm-hmm. it doesn't take too much, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you seen the movie where Eagles stare? It's a good one, by the way. I have you not. Have okay. you seen that video where Danzig gets knocked out? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck talking about a Clint Eastwood movie. Let's yeah, talk about yeah, Danzig getting punched in the face. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's hilarious uh have you ever seen uh the video where some guy from mtv is like interviewing danzig backstage somewhere and he's like reading a wolverine comic and they're like what are you doing glenn he's like reading comics and they're like oh aren't comics for kids he's like yes some are some are for babies but wolverine is cool and i only read tough comics you know what i mean and he's just like yeah very funny yeah i'm not saying that it sounds very cringy and i Completely you. Speaking of uh, cringy, um, Bucky gets knocked off the train, and that was where he would have died in the first Avenger. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain Carter catches him and pulls him up, and he says, "You almost ripped my arm off. Be careful next time." Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Too cringy, but still. You know. Yeah, there's a fair amount of line delivery in this episode that is a little uh hammy 
Especially from Sebastian Stan. Mm-hmm. He's not very yeah, good Yeah, most of his... <laughs> and then a few lines from Hayley Atwell. Uh, I thought she did a good job for the most part, though. She's very charming. Y- yes, yes. Uh, and she's, like, golden age pretty, too. You mm-hmm. know? I hate to bring up, like, her looks, obviously. Like, I don't want to, like, objectify Hayley Atwell. Um, but she's one of these just kind of eternally beautiful human beings where it doesn't really matter what style or decade or time or whatever that you yeah, exist yeah. Like in classic movie star good looks uh and yeah. that i mean there's a counterpart with men too where it's <laughs> of course there are chris yeah, yeah yes yes uh, chris pine chris hemsworth mm-hmm. chris pratt who else is named chris <laughs> um fucking steve blows up here and it ends up uh getting the cosmic cube back into the hands of hydra um, i was going to ask you if that confused me because i watched this with a buddy of mine and uh it took a second to realize uh how red skull got the cube again and i i saw one reaction video where they were also confused well, I, the, the show moves so fucking fast right mm-hmm like the pace was really brisk to the point where like I could easily see somebody being confused. Obviously like I have to sit there and like drink two cups of coffee and like have a fucking pen because we have the show where we scream about it every week (laughs) and I can't miss anything because God forbid we miss anything, but I could definitely see that being like a bit. And then, I mean, I guess they reemphasize it in the next scene because she's like interrogating Zola Mm -hmm. and she like gets all the information and she like basically like reiterates like, Hey, in case you missed it, he got the cue because that was what was passed powering this entire fucking thing and this is where uh where they are now and we got to go stop him because he's going to use the cube for all these horrible things but little do they know they're using the cube to open a portal to summon an octopus right is that what's going on well they said it was beyond space and i just thought maybe a some type of love graph being type beyond beyond infinity maybe yeah 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, doesn't get a name. It's just some weird tentacle monster that uh, Red Skull knows about and digs and wants to be Hydra's mascot. Which I am cool with. Obviously, their mascot is a tentacled monster. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen the Abolis from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There are tentacled monsters in the comics. There are the Elder Gods um, or the Many Angled Ones from uh, most recently 2009's Realm of Kings event where... Quasar and the Guardians and Project Pegasus fought the Revengers and uh, these tentacled Elder Gods, one of which has a name. It is called Shumagorath, um, which has come up recently um, in discussion. Yeah, he's been one of the characters rumored for the next Doctor Strange film. I don't know if that's still like on the table with that villain. Nightmare Rose rumored at one point, so he's Hard to know with the director change what is still on the table, if it ever was. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness is being directed by Sam Raimi, a famous uh, champion of H.P. Lovecraft, right? Mm-hmm. With The Evil Dead, The Necronomicon, a lot of lore and Lovecraftian, um, not only like 
direct elements such as the Necronomicon, even though it's different, but um, also imagery. Uh, think about Dr. Octopus in um, Spider-Man 2. Yeah. A lot of Lovecraftian imagery comes to mind, and Shumagorath is rumored to be the villain for the sequel to Dr. Strange, directed by Sam Raimi. That totally makes sense. Shumagorath is a Lovecraftian chaotic interdimensional tentacle monster first introduced in Marvel premiere number 10 in 1972 and heavily rumored to be featured. I don't think this is Shimagorath. I think this is a generic no. tentacle monster. I right? think you're right. I, uh, I don't think it's Shimagorath at all. No, uh, I, did you like the fight sequence where Captain Carter got a sword? <laughs> oh, that, uh, I kind of forgot about it until you mentioned it. <laughs> so I'm going to say no. I remember her getting the sword. I The, the tentacle monster fight was not anything special. She pretty much just pushes it into the portal or whatever. I uh, was in such a bad mood the first time I saw the first Avenger in theaters. I was really tired. Mm -hmm. um, I've gone on record on the show saying I didn't have the most confidence in Marvel Studios back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, pre-Avengers 1, pre the whole Disney thing, um, I kind of felt like everything was just kind of teeing off another thing. Iron Man 2 left a really sour taste in my mouth. <laughs> um, even though there are moments of that film that I really like, um, especially, I actually think it's the best Iron Man's armor uh, being put on has ever looked. Um, mm. But the kind of like tee-offs for sequels like really turned me off. And going into the first Avenger, I, I was excited because I, I'm a Joe Johnson fan. Obviously, I loved The Rocketeer a lot, uh, both as a comic book and a film. I love pulpy nonsense, World War II. I like corny comics, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I like uh, Darwin Cook's um, New Frontier. You know, I like JSA shit. Like, I like this stuff. Um, but I, I just remember, like, being in this bad mood, being really tired, and the, uh, can I have the dance? Like, you owe me a dance. And and just me and my friend doing what I just did, where I was like, just one more dance. And, and like, that's all we kept doing. And, and we were literally like, boo, in the back of, like, a crowded movie theater. Like, I want to leave. Um, and I, I was getting flashbacks to it. Like, you still owe me a dance lesson. It's, like, Saturday, 7 o'clock. And then I was like, oh, God, it's, like, regurgitated just for the sake of regurgitating, like dragging on the the member berries or the like, hey, remember that was yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. This it's kind of like the uh, the Avengers cartoon, the newer one that I was talking about, how I didn't like it and how sure. it, it's basically like a poor imitation of the movies. And the dance stuff reminded me very much of that, where it's like, hey, remember that, and just not as good, not as good on the story, and it's just... I agree. I did it four times, like... In Reference it twice, at most. <laughs> yeah. And also, speaking of member berries, and hey, wasn't that cool? She fucking pops out of a portal on the other end in the present day with, like, I guess they're in the basement of, like, Project Pe Pegasus or S.H.I.E.L.D. or something yeah, along those lines. Yeah, it's very much like that Loki scene in the first Avengers movie. Very much. But the location looked a little different, but... Uh, probably didn't have the budget for such a big hanger. <laughs> we get my boy uh, Jeremy Renner back as Clint Barton next to my boy Nick Fury, though, yeah, which was pretty yeah. cool. 
and they seemingly know who Captain Carter is, much like how we knew who Steve Rogers was. And it was like, welcome to the present. And what is she, she says, like, we won the war or whatever. Um, or I had a dance or mm -hmm. something along those lines. Um, the producers of the show plan to make Captain Carter a returning character in this series. She's confirmed yeah. for season two at this point, right? There's some um, there's some trailer footage uh, showing her speaking with Doctor Strange, which I'm assuming they've already animated. So maybe that's yeah, from another there's, episode. There's also a shot of uh, of Captain Carter and a few other Avengers in one of the scenes from uh, the first Avengers movie, pretty much. And I assume it's just like various what if uh, Avengers all united together uh i don't know if they're all going to come through portals or how they're going to get together or whatever but uh it's fine but it <laughs> yeah like i don't know if we're going to be returning to this specific new reality or multiverse that was introduced in this or maybe mm -hmm. like nick fury farts or something when the portal opens and that starts another thing so we have like this is the moment where that one's different so now we're like a timeline varying from a timeline varying from a timeline varying from a timeline so we could have these cool iconic images shown again and regurgitated to us <laughs> with different people so you could say hey wasn't that cool but what if spider-man was there you know what i mean um and again i'm not really knocking the show no, you know, no it's, it's, it's a general conceit of it yeah it's fine yeah. especially for an animated thing um i do hope that they explore different stuff rather than the member berry stuff that we're kind of talking mm -hmm. about though you know what yeah, i mean i Thank you. Maybe disappointed on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm do you have any? Like, do you have anything else that you want to like say about the episode, or do you want to just jump into reviews so we can start complaining about this stuff a little bit? Yeah, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, review. All right. Tell us how you really feel. Let's rate this. So let's get to our general overall thoughts on the episode. Now that we've kind of broken down everything, we've talked about some in and out, some Easter eggs, some comic book stuff. Um, we are back at the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast after a couple of weeks off. Last week, we did our little sideshow, The Fortress of Solid Dudes, on the uh, DC Extended Universe of Films uh, doing Suicide Squad, which was very fun. And we changed up our rating system last week. We were reviewing it out of Martha boxes. But let's get back to our normal rating system. Them, which uh, is one to six infinity stones one being the worst six being the best we do accept half stars um i i mean i i always say like you can go first but i i've kind of already been rambling about it <laughs> i really do like how this show looks mm -hmm. i really do think that the ideas of multiversal storytelling and things being taken out of continuity is beyond intriguing it's beyond affinity um it is like beyond um exciting as somebody who's a comic book fan because we can get stories about characters that we really do love but we don't have to be weighted down by the continuity of either 50 years of comic books or 15 years of the film franchise or or whatever 
designated universe that story and that character is taking place within. I think, unfortunately, this show will continue to just give us straight up like reimaginings of things that we've already mm-hmm. seen with different characters rather than giving me a brand or giving me, giving me, me, me rather than giving us the viewer and the audience brand new stories with these characters that we really like. They're going to give us stories that we already like with characters that we already like. And I think that kind of flops a little bit on the overall um, potential and possibilities of what the show is. That being said, I really did enjoy myself watching this episode. I thought the voice cast for the most part, except for Sebastian Stan was really good. Um, I thought the animation was really fun. And I like these kind of stories, these pulpy world war two stories. So I'll like, I'll give it three out of six. Like I'm right down the middle on this thing. Obviously I'm going to keep watching it and I would watch it whether or not we had this podcast or not. I'm still excited for what's to come. I just don't think now after seeing this episode that we're going to get anything other than retreading water that we've already swam in. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you make a lot of good points there. A lot of what you said is pretty much echoing what I'm thinking. Uh, I do think that we might get something a little different towards the finale because in the trailer we've seen what it appears to be Vision and Ultron merged together with Infinity Stones on his ship, so I'm thinking that this multiverse Avengers thing, or what if Avengers will face off with him. Yeah. But And they could tell like a different story with that, like how they stop him. But everything up to that, I'm kind of expecting to be retreads and then Marvel Zombies somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like the one other that yeah. but I, 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 which we call a gimmick in the business <laughs> I'm just burned out on zombies like there's uh, yeah, I don't know if there's much of anything you could do with them at this point that's really going to make me fucking rush out to see it uh, and I don't think that people who say they like Marvel Zombies, the comic book series, actually read Marvel Zombies, the comic book series, because that book is really fucking confusing. And it like all starts with like Magneto from the Ultimate Universe got thrown through a portal at the end of Ultimatum and like ended up in this universe with zombies. And it's like seeped in um, Ultimate Marvel continuity in like a really weird way. And I think people just like bought it because they saw Robert Kirkman's name on it and mm. just like got it. But it's not like the most reader friendly thing, like right off the jump. It's like very weird, you know? Yeah. Zombies were hot there for a little while and so hot. With them sold somewhat. <laughs> so hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give it four out of six infinity stones wow. which i'm going to provide one caveat which is i'm not grading it this is harsh face i would a live action thing okay um, yeah yeah for animation and how bad marvel animation has been the last few years uh yeah it's at least better than that <laughs> Yeah, and, and I do like a lot of the action. Like the choreography is, is good. The animation is fluid, and I like the sort of three D ish look of it. 
Yeah. It's the just... kind of layered look mm-hmm. of the two dimensional, um, like there's some depth yeah. to the, the aesthetic rather than it feeling like flattened two dimensional drawings, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I like it. I don't love it, but I will continue watching, not just because we have a podcast that demands that we watch it, but because I watch too much more of the stuff and coming with stuff in general. Uh, Does this get you more excited for future Marvel animated projects once they get their footing? Uh, yes, somewhat, just because the animation is decent and genuinely. I can't talk badly enough about the animation of recent years for Marvel. Uh, very true. The, the, the art quality is very, very poor. Uh, and it's been p- kind of pathetic how, like, the best Marvel animation from the past, like, decade and a half is, like, the motion comic bullshit that they put out. And that's oh, just yeah, nothing. Yeah. You know, that they, they did the Extremis one that's that I like kind of dug. That's, like, just a step up from, what is it, the 60s Marvel cartoons where it was just, like, them taking actual comic book panels and slightly animating them. <laughs> it's Dude. Just, um, the evolution of that. If we have a couple weeks in between anything, I think it would be really fun for us to talk about the Namor and the Thor and the yeah, Captain yeah. America I series. Would love from to that time. I wish that they were on Disney Plus, but they are not. They're, uh, they're pretty hard YouTube. to track down legally. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they just don't want people watching them. <laughs> uh, they're yes, very, very weird. Uh, yeah, I think that would be really fun. Um, tell us if you would like us to review the 1960s Namor series, if you'd like, you can find us at MCU beyond infinity podcast at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, the MCU beyond infinity podcast, Facebook group, which is a very, very nice community that we have carved out on the internet for anyone who wants to talk about comic books or anything Marvel related or movie related. It's a genuinely positive corner that I'm taking more and more pride in by the day, especially seeing the other corners of the interweb that speak about Marvel. (laughs) With that in mind, Travis, we have a little bit of Marvel news that we can talk about before wrapping up our first episode on Marvel's What If. So, Travis, before we wrap up... Oh, wow, that sounded really weird. Um, So... (laughs) So Travis, yeah, your, um, your phone sex operator voice there. I put I put my sunglasses on and now I talk like this. Uh, before we wrap up today's episode, I think we have a little bit of Marvel news to talk about. We do indeed. I'm we so sorry. Indeed. I'm so sorry. I did that to your ears. I, I like that listening. you didn't like stop doing it after you acknowledged that it was weird. <laughs> this is how I talk now. Yeah, yeah. Just just keep it in. It stays. All right. It stays. All right. Keep keep it in and double it. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the big news is a leak uh potentially like there's not any confirmation that it's real but it looks real and there's been concept art and that is the first look at moon knight uh in costume and i personally think it looks dope it's like a kind of a dirtier white which makes sense for the character and it kind of looks like he has mummy bandages on a little bit but it doesn't sound awful like i'm describing it no, it's 
it's again it's it's a little grimy looking but mm-hmm. when when we we're using the words grim and and grimy and and things along those lines so you might think like these kind of like darker kind of cynical like no you know fun or anything kind of sh- like like the man of steel uh superman i was going like to mention schneider about how like lifeless and and joyless those characters look but again it looks like a mummy with a moon logo on its forehead it, it's still fun looking mm-hmm. you know what i mean and the hood with the widow's peaks and all that and i dig that the only thing i'm a little iffy on is around the eyes but the kind of like uh spawn-esque kind of things around his eyes the way it like goes up like that i like the solid white eyes i on characters in general in movies like deadpool got that pretty much perfect Mm -hmm. the mcu really hasn't replicated that yet so if they do it with moon knight it'll be a nice choice uh no i mean just there's like a gap between his mask and his eyes and i assume it'll be something they do in post where they smoothed it out some sure and it was really funny when this leaked we both kind of got the picture at the exact same time and you sent me the message saying hey do you want to see this i was like is this what you're talking about and you're like (laughs) yeah and then instantly two seconds later the trolls got to it and you told me that the other picture that leaked was like a a photoshop of noob cybot from mortal Kombat. yes yes and ragman from the cw shows yeah so good it's so good they were so quick to just like take the two funniest things that you could possibly imagine they had to already be thinking about it or have it prepared in anticipation of a potential leak or something because it's it was very much instant like give that man a job marvel they did it you know Mm -hmm. but we were dying when when i heard that um i'm really excited for moon knight uh the cast is incredible we got oscar isaac ethan hawk uh the directing duo they've done uh, they did a movie called spring that i'm a huge fan of that's i still need to finish that one uh i started it but i it's i got distracted uh i've heard it's good and i think i'll like it but it's fine in the time. Huh? It's it's not for everyone, you know. It's almost as much of like a like some sort of like European kind of love story, like indie kind of European mm-hmm. kind of art movie, as much as it is this Lovecraftian kind of real dark eldritch horror thing. Uh, it does, uh, as Kira would say, go full tilt by the end, um, mm-hmm. which is something that I've adopted in the past week after hearing someone say that out loud. It goes full tilt. It gets there. It, it, it fucks by the end of it. There's squid monsters and werewolves and all sorts of crazy shit. Um, it, it's fun. Um they also did a movie with Anthony Mackie called Synchronic uh, that came out during the pandemic and bombed it's that I really liked. On Netflix. I, oh, cool. Or at least it was the last I looked. Uh, I watched about half of it and got distracted again. It's uh, like a two-hour Black, uh, Black they, Mirror uh, episode. They did Resolution 2, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the sequel? The Endless? Yes, I liked both of those a good yes. deal. Yeah, very nice, lower-budget sci-fi horror stuff Uh, they're good at those things that's what i mean they picked a good crew for a character like moon knight moon knight is a character that i could see taking off in the general pop culture zeitgeist if done right he is brooding he is um 
twisted hashtag twisted he is he is twisted dude um he's got a cool costume he is fun to draw he is fun to look at you know he's he's kind of everything that you kind of like about batman he is but almost a little better at times yeah, uh, with yeah. without being weighed down by you know he doesn't have any like fun rogues uh like batman does like that's that but, is one of the limitations of it uh for sure, sure. yeah uh, but but again you could also take it numerous ways. You could be very serious. You could be very supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be very grounded, or you yeah, could yeah. be There's totally an issue off the chain. It's pretty much the raid, like the movie, the raid, just with mm-hmm. midnight, uh, working his way up a tower and fucking people up. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Definitely, if you're listening to this and you've made it this far, the Warren Ellis and, um, Declan Shelby, sorry, I almost said Jordy Belair. The Warren Ellis and uh, Declan Shelby run from uh, about like 2013, 14. That's a really fun and interesting series. And and if you even if you're looking at back issues and you see, oh, they only have number two or number four, or they don't have number one. It doesn't really matter. Each issue is kind of its own self-contained little story. Like you had said, Travis, there's that issue that's. Uh, you know, similar to the raid where it's kind of him just going through like this building. And then like the first floor is like the ninja level and the second floor is the red ninja level and the third yeah, floor is yeah, the yeah. gun it's, ninja level. Yeah. It's a really good issue. Uh, just like a fun standalone uh, thing there. And Jeff yeah. Lemire runs really good too. Oh yeah, that is fun. And there's actually, if you're listening to this and you're just getting into comics, they just started a new uh, Moon Knight series that's being drawn by Steve McNiven, and it's it's really got some sick art. It, you know, it's only up to the first issue. So if you go to your local comic book store, um, you could probably find it, and you can probably get on board with a brand new series for a character that you may or may not know. But if you don't know them, you have this TV show to look forward to and you might be a little bit more anticipating uh, of it. And if you do know the character, you might be, you know, getting in on the ground level of what could be a really great series right before this TV show um, starts off. And either way, you'll be supporting a local business and that's all that really matters. So go to your local comic book store, pick up Moon Knight number one. Steve McNiven's art is great. It's got some big muscly uh, cross hatching going on that I'm a huge fan of. And and it's, it's good, good, good fun. Um, So um, now that we've, spoken about moon Knight, travis um what other news do we have on the docket for today shang chi uh will not be going to disney plus uh not day and date uh release with the theatrical run uh which is good because it will do as well as it can in theaters before we're both wincing when we're saying it's good we're both wincing as if we are confident that shang chi will end up making the gangbusters that the rest of the mcu does if this movie does not do well in theaters this will be a bad decision if this movie does well Mm -hmm. in theaters this will be a good decision do you think anything with the marvel name on it will do well at this point in time travis i think so they obviously got the track record but yeah, I want to say they're looking at about 40 to 50 million uh, opening weekend is uh, what they're anticipating. Uh, I, I hope it does well because I would like for uh, these actors and these characters to get a, a real shot and not be fucked over by real life. <laughs> 
this is where I'll superimpose the Jaws theme song as we start talking about the Delta variant coming this fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Which could be interesting for theaters. As we know now, one of the things that hindered Black Widow's box office returns was obviously the Disney Plus premium release. I bought it premium release. I saw it twice in theaters opening weekend, but I'm a freak. Same here. I have a feeling that, you know, but I did watch it at home more. Um, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that the people who saw it opening weekend who liked it went home and had Disney Plus and thought, hey, for 30 bucks, I could watch this again. I got my whole family can hang out and watch it. The second week and the third week, it saw diminishing returns. Yeah, right? I mean, comic book movies and stuff like this are, they're very front loaded to begin with, but having that just added to it, uh, to the drop off there. Uh, and it also kind of leads us to our last movie story, which is about, uh, Scarlett Johansson suing Marvel or, and slash Disney, uh, which, for their breach of contract with this release. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we almost talked about it last week, but it's kind of a lengthy topic. Uh, and it kind of ties into another Marvel fucking over people story. Yeah, Disney's being like total schmucks about everything at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, with the with the ScarJo stuff and, and with the... Uh, with the Shang-Chi stuff and, and the, the, the premier access stuff, obviously a lot of the cast and crews for these films, the amount of money they make in royalties and the amount of money they make in almost their salary is dependent on box office returns and video sales, you know, and video sales have famously kind of gone in the shitter. Um, a lot of kind of movies that were, you know, made in the nineties, these kind of mid budget things, they, they, their cast and crews always kind of saw two bumps in their royalties. They would kind of, you know, get their royalties when they would get the theatrical release. And sometimes they would just, they'd make even more money when it came out on DVD or VHS. And, you know, they got the rental money and all of that. Um, that does not seem to be the same with streaming platforms. So it doesn't seem like they've given their casting crews the royalty incentives for the return on the streaming releases with the premiere access. So while a movie like Shang-Chi or Black Widow can do gangbusters opening weekend with the premiere access, the diminishing returns obviously is a huge fucking factor. But at the same time with Shang-Chi, that's not a tried and true IP the way Black Widow is. So who mm-hmm. knows how it's going to do? It's a little bit more of a gamble. Black Widow is going to make money no matter what. Yeah, it's one of the bigger risks they've taken in a while. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure when Scarlett Johansson and all of these cast and crew members who aren't seeing money from this $30 Disney Plus rental signed on to do the film... The $30 Disney Plus rental was not a thought in anyone's fucking mind, and no one was mm-hmm. thinking it was ever going to be released like that. So they never renegotiate a contract to say, hey, we're releasing it like this, and you get X percentage of that streaming premiere access yeah. revenue. You know? Yeah. 
which I, is the dick thing to do. That's a dick thing to do. And anyone defending fucking Disney and saying Scarlett Johansson makes enough fucking money, like, fuck you. You're defending a billionaire over a millionaire. If your job <laughs> was a job where you're expecting to make a million dollars and they tried to screw you out of any of that, you would be mad. Like, don't fuck with people's money and don't fuck with people's livelihoods. And that is what occurred. They knew that's what was occurred. Disney is not concerned with the second week dip in box office theater numbers because they made that movie on Disney plus, but the cast and crews did not see any of that revenue from the Disney plus and they lost potential revenue where Disney probably said, Hey, we're not going to give you 10 million upfront for this movie. We'll give you X amount of the box office. You know how that works. You made all this money with Endgame. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they got fucked. And end of the day, a billion dollar corporation fucked over somebody. You know, I mean, it bullshit. Is, it's uh, common throughout history with record labels and mo- and movie studios doing this sort of deal, taking advantage of their performers. Uh, I also don't think that it's going to be something that prevents Scarlett Johansson from coming back for other Disney stuff because, like, Emma Stone is also suing them uh, over Cruella, and she's. You just recently signed on for the second Cruella film. So it's not personal, it's business. Uh, it's not personal, it's business. And I'm kind of excited for Cruella too, because I kind of liked Cruella. Like, I'll straight up say, like, I had fun watching that movie. It was very funny and silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, with the talk about lawsuits, we can now talk about how much Marvel pays the, uh, the writers of these uh, comic books that they're basing these movies on. This is something this is something I've always been curious about because we have seen Ed Brubaker's name in titles. Mm -hmm. We have seen um, famously not seen Jack Kirby's name in some of these things. We have not seen uh, Warren Ellis's name in Extremis or the first Iron Man movie. Um, We just saw John Ostrander in the Suicide Squad, you know, play Mm -hmm. a role and I've always been curious. I wonder how much Ed Brubaker made for The Winter Soldier. Or I wonder how much uh, Abnett and Landing made for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Or, you know, things along those lines. Or how much uh, Jason Aaron is making for them using Gore the God Butcher. But we have an official number for how much the billionaire corporation, the House of Mouse, um is giving the creators who they're basing these billion dollar uh, blockbuster films off of. And um, do you want to share that number, Travis? It's uh, five grand, which is five grand. Uh, I mean, it's would be decent money to me, but I didn't. <laughs> it's what I make in two weeks, Travis. I will straight up yeah, tell you, yeah, humble would... brag, humble brag. I have a good job, but it's what I make in two fucking weeks working a nine to five job, dude. Mm-hmm. That is yeah, fucking crazy, man. They should really be uh, paying these people better. Uh, I don't know if they had to figure out a percentage of like how much of their stories they're taking. Uh, Incentives, royalties, yeah, um, yeah. merchandising. Anything, anything, giving them a percentage of anything rather than hush money. That sounds like Uh fucking hush money, dude. That sounds like here's five grand monkey. Go do your fucking laborious and super creative job. So we, a 
like creative bankrupt person wearing a suit and tie can take that <laughs> uh, and make all this money off of your labor of love. I hope they remedy this. Uh, I uh, imagine they will know they're getting shamed about it a bit, but uh, yeah. But I've seen a lot of people, Travis, Mm -hmm. like not shaming them. I've seen a lot of people in internet comment section saying like, hey, they're jobs for hire. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. It's fine to fuck people over. Uh, They don't have any legal obligation to do right by them, but a moral obligation. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Seriously. This is the harshest we've ever been on Disney on this show, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i know but i mean it's the truth i love the movies i'm uh but yeah it's a bummer to see the uh, creators of these stories not get their proper doom uh yeah it, it is kind of it's sad it's also disappointing too mm-hmm. um considering again this podcast is a labor of love from the both of us based off of something that we really love. And to hear that there is this kind of darker side to it where they're screwing over someone is kind of a bummer. Um, Cause you know, comic book writing and, and art uh, doesn't always even pay the bills. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of these people have other jobs um, or need other forms of income or rely on doing commissions and things just to kind of get by Sometimes uh, these studios, you know, don't even pay for health insurance. Um, there is a kind of famous comic book author I, whose name I won't mention, uh, who worked for one of, I'll just say, one of the big two companies who lives on Long Island, who I know, who uh, got really sick and uh, his health insurance didn't cover it. And we all had to start kind of like a Kickstarter at my local comic book store cool. and a couple of local comic book stores. I'll tell you who it is offline. Oh, yeah. Um they kind of uh, to help the dude out because, you know, they couldn't pay for his fucking cancer treatment. You know what I mean? Oh, um, which is rough. So, I mean, this took a dark turn at the very end of a genuinely positive episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did, I didn't think it was going to get darker than the voice, but it did. Uh, I guess if they listen to it in reverse or just, yeah, I don't know. Listen to the news first and then listen to the mm-hmm episode review mm-hmm. it'll sound a lot more glowing yeah i'll edit it so when they listen to it in reverse it'll be us saying like hail satan over and over yeah, again yeah, like one of those ozzy yeah, osbourne yeah, yeah. records or whatever and we'll start a whole new satanic panic and that's how we'll finally make it big and and disney can give us five grand to shut the fuck up which i'll take <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely uh, um again um you can find us at uh, mcu beyond infinity at gmail oh what is it? MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast at gmail.com. You can tell us what you think of the show. You can tell us what you think of the episodes that we're discussing. You could join our Facebook group, the MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast Facebook group, um, to discuss uh, with fellow like-minded Marvelites such as Travis and I in a genuinely positive uh, little section of the internet. Um I'm really excited to start talking about Marvel again. We have some new Marvel content. We'll have a new movie in a couple of weeks, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. And uh, hopefully the creators of uh, that property get paid more than uh, $5,000. Uh, but until next week, I am John. I'm Travis. And we are Venom. 